You're listening to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M, where she breaks down the nitty gritty basics of nursing concepts. Hello and welcome back to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M. Today I'm going to talk about anemias, which is basically just a condition where the blood is lacking enough healthy red blood cells, or specifically hemoglobin. And for anemias, the most common cause of someone having anemia is either they have acute blood loss um, or they have some sort of faulty red blood cell production or their red blood cells are being destroyed. So either they don't have enough blood, their red blood cells are messed up to begin with, or their red blood cells are not being made correctly. Those are the three big reasons why people would have anemia. Now, there are several different types of anemia, with the main types being related to acute and chronic blood loss, uh, which can happen from cancers or immunodeficiency syndromes or liver diseases or autoimmune conditions. There's also anemias that can be caused by specific nutritional deficiencies, such as a lack of iron, a lack of folate or B12 deficiency. There are hereditary anemias like sickle cell anemia and thalassemia. So realistically, anyone who has anemia, the focus of the treatment is on the condition that is causing the anemia to begin with. So it's going to vary based on that specific type of anemia. And that's really pivotal in understanding just the nitty gritty basics of how we would approach treating anemias in nursing with these types of patients. So to begin with, let's start with the easiest type of anemia, and that's going to be blood loss anemia, which is basically just characterized by too much blood being on the outside of the body when it should be in the inside of the body. So if you don't have enough blood circulating on the inside of your body, not only are you going to have a whole host of other problems, but again, you just don't have enough red blood cells to transport oxygen. No red blood cells means decreased oxygen circulation, which means a decreased perfusion, which leads to anemia. You see kind of where this is going. Now, from an acute and chronic perspective, acute blood loss is going to result from like trauma of patients, right? Or someone who's in a motor vehicle accident, someone who was bitten by a shark and has like an amputation. Your chronic blood loss is going to be from like a slow GI bleed or cancer, even uh, females who are menstruating. So that is what causes blood loss anemia. It's literally the easiest anemia to understand. There's just too much of the red stuff on the outside of the body when it should be on the inside of the body. But realistically, like, what does that look like in your patient? Well, because they don't have enough red blood cells, which the hemoglobin attaches to the oxygen molecule and is responsible for transporting that, these patients are fatigued. They also are going to be pale or have some pallor. Um, uh, the red blood cells is what really brings a normal skin color to these individuals. And even those with darker skin complexion, while they not may not impale like a sheet of paper, you're still going to see it in their mucous membranes. Mucous membranes should be nice and pink. Those will be pale. They're going to be short of breath. Again, they don't have the oxygen carrying capacity. They might have chest pain. They might have tachycardia. And that's because the heart is trying to compensate for the lack of blood circulating in their system. They might be hypotensive. And they might have cool extremities because the body tries to uh, compensate by doing a peripheral vasoconstriction and funneling the blood that they do have remaining in their system back to the essential organs. So how do we intervene with these patients? Again, it's going to depend 
on the root cause of the anemia. If it's a traumatic blood loss anemia, well, we're going to give them blood products and maybe some sort of medication to increase their red blood cell production. If it's a chronic blood loss, we're going to identify the issue and probably try to fix it. Like if they have a GI bleed, we'll start to give them the medications that would stop the GI also from bleeding. And then give them medications like a hemopoietin to increase the red blood cell production. So, you know, in a nutshell, with blood loss anemia, really, we just need to control and address the source of the bleeding, whether that's chronic or acute. Both of them, we have to figure out where they're bleeding from and stop it. Acute, more serious, because they're going to die faster. And then basically just replace the blood loss that they've had and give them the blood products so that they can have restored circulating volume of essential components that are needed to transport oxygen and CO2 throughout the body. So that is blood loss anemia. Now let's talk about iron deficiency anemia. And iron deficiency anemia is just when we have low iron levels. And there's three main causes for that. Either these patients have really poor intake, they've got some sort of absorption problem, or they're losing iron, like from blood loss or menstruation or like an ulcer or a hemorrhoid. If it's because of poor intake, usually the reasons why people have poor intake of iron, oftentimes it's during, it can be, during pregnancy, when there's an increase in fetal demand. And those patients who don't have enough iron or have some sort of nutritional deficiency, you'll also hear the term pica, where patients are eating non-food substantial things, but items that have like a lot of minerals in them, like dirt. And you'll frequently see that with iron deficiencies or mineral deficiencies. Uh, poor diets and malnourished, that goes to stand that the person's just not eating enough or in consuming enough iron in their diet. And then vegetarians, and that's primarily because they're not consuming iron via uh, red meats, for example, or meats from an animal that uh, use red blood cells as well. Absorption problems will be specific to like intestinal surgeries or like a gastric bypass. Maybe they've had some of their small bowel removed because the small intestine plays a huge role in iron absorption. So these are three main, three primary causes of specifically iron deficiency anemia, poor intake, absorption problems, or they're losing iron from blood loss. And individuals that have iron deficiency anemia specifically, right, they're going to have the signs and symptoms. If you just think, low iron, they're going to be lethargic. They will be overexerted really easily with that shortness of breath. Again, they don't have the uh, hemoglobin in the iron circulating to transport oxygen, get rid of the CO2. They're also going to have weird food cravings like the ice and clay and dirt, pica. They'll have a really pale face. Um, They're also likely to have inflammation of the tongue and increased heart rate. They'll have reduced hemoglobin levels. And then you'll see these changes in the red blood cells because they don't have the iron to do their job. And then they can also actually have nail changes. Uh, as a result of that, their fingernails will actually become spoon-shaped, and then they can have neurological changes, again, because it's, they're not transporting the essential molecules needed, and so the brain is not going to get the oxygen that they need to work effectively. So for these patients, we know that their presentation is they're going to be pale in nature. They're going to have that weakness in the fatigue. They'll have low hemoglobin and hematocrit, and their uh, red blood cells are going to be microcytic and hypochromic, which is just a fancy way of saying small red blood cells and without the nice chrome looking appearance to them. So what do we do for these people? What are the interventions that we need to take in order to 
help them feel better? Well, we need to increase their oral intake of iron and instruct them on food choices that are really high in iron. Those are going to be things like dark green vegetables, dried fruits, uh, even egg yolk, legumes, meat products, uh, liver products, things like that that contain high levels of iron. And then we're going to administer iron supplements as prescribed. And there's a few different variations to iron supplements. They can get intramuscular injections of iron um, or they can get IV administration of iron, which can be prescribed in severe cases of anemia. Um, if they are going to take oral supplements of iron, especially the liquid version, uh, it's really important that one of the uh, ed- educational components that we provide is that that liquid iron can actually stain the teeth. And so we really want to teach them that it should be taken through a straw and that the after they have taken the liquid oral iron, that they really need to then brush their teeth after the administration so that they don't get the discoloration on their teeth. In terms of when they should just take like an oral iron tablet, they need to be taking that between meals for maximum absorption. We know that iron is best absorbed on an empty stomach, but it's really hard on the empty stomach. So if they can also take it with some sort of fruit juice, vitamin C will increase the absorption of the iron. And we don't want them to take it with milk or antacids because those will decrease the absorption. Uh, And then if they're taking a lot of uh, iron supplements, we need to educate them on the side effects of that. And that's going to be like black stools and constipation, and it might have a foul aftertaste. So these are just considerations for the interventions that we were going to do for someone who's got low iron deficiency. Now, how do we evaluate that? It's going to, we can do blood tests again and make sure that their levels are coming back up and they should just start to feel better. So any of those symptoms that they were having, like weakness and fatigue, or, you know, if they were really pale, those should eventually correct themselves. So that's your iron deficiency anemia. Now your vitamin B12 deficiency anemia results from inadequate intake of vitamin B12 or lack of absorption of ingested B12 from the intestinal tract. And B12 deficiency anemia comes not only with either A, you're just not taking in enough, but B, you can also get pernicious anemia, which is specific to B12 because it's just a deficiency of intrinsic factor that's normally secreted by the gastric mucosa that helps with the absorption. And if you don't have intrinsic factor, you're not going to absorb B12 even if you're consuming a lot of it. People at risk for getting this disorder specifically pernicious anemia, for example, and just vitamin B12 deficiency in general, are those with autoimmune issues, individuals who follow follow a vegan lifestyle just because they're not eating a lot of any animal product, which is where a lot of dietary B12 is located. Some people have genetic links to it, and then the elderly are also at risk for this because they just have decreased acid production, which means they also have decreased intrinsic factor, and they're just not going to absorb it much. Those are just a few of the people that are at risk for it. Now, because we know what it's caused by, what do these people look like? Again, it's an anemia. And what you'll find is all of the anemias basically have very similar signs and symptoms because of the root cause, which is just not enough red blood cells circulating and not transporting the essential nutrients. So again, the presentation of these patients, what they're going to look like is they're again going to be have that pallor. They're going to be pale. They're going to have fatigue weight loss. There are, however, some very specific signs and symptoms as it relates to 
B12 deficiency that you should probably be aware of. And those are that because vitamin B12 is really good for the nervous system, specifically because it helps in regard to myelin synthesis, nerve metabolism, and neuronal regeneration, when we don't have enough vitamin B12 in our system, we then will end up with paresthesia of the hands and feet because the nerves are affected. The other big thing is that they will associate, especially in your tests, B12 deficiency or like a pernicious anemia, again, it's just a B12 issue, um, with a red, beefy, swollen tongue that is sometimes often described as smooth in nature. And the reason why patients with a B12 deficiency get this red, beefy tongue is because uh, when there is a lack of vitamin B12, it can actually present itself as like a glossitis, a megaloblastic anemia, glossitis. And so the appearance of the tongue in vitamin B12 deficiency is described as that beefy or fiery red um, kind of characteristic. This type of anemia does happen over time and is very gradual in nature, so it's not caught super early on. But again, these are just things to watch for. So how do we intervene with it? Well, the entire goal of this particular anemia is to replace vitamin B12 in the body because either A, they're not eating enough of it already and they need to be educated on foods to be drawn to in order to increase the consumption of B12 dietarily, or they can't get it from the food because they don't have the intrinsic factor in order to help absorb it. So what we can do for them is if we're going to help them increase their dietary intake, they need to include those foods that are rich in B12, like citrus fruits, dried beans, Again, green leafy vegetables, liver, nuts, um, all of the organ meats, and even brewer's yeast, if that's um, the direct result from a dietary deficiency. If it's because they don't have the intrinsic factor to help absorb it, then what they're going to need is they're going to need to have vitamin B12 injections that are given weekly initially. And then once they're given weekly and the the levels get back up, then it can be extended to monthly for maintenance. And the people without the intrinsic factor, the key thing here is they're going to need to get B12 injections for the rest of their life because they're not going to be able to absorb B12. So if at any point they ever decide to stop taking B12 injections, they will then go back into a vitamin B12 deficiency anemia. And so they really need clear education on that. And in addition to that, if we think about safety elements, because we know the B12 has such a play with the nervous system and affecting the ability with paresthesia, like they get the numbness and the tingling in their hands and feet, safety is going to be like, we really need to caution these individuals, especially the elderly, with their gait and walking around and having really good oral hygiene because we know that they're going to get that red beefy tongue. And so we want to make sure that they maintain those sorts of things in their life. So those are the three anemias that I'm going to cover in this podcast that was blood loss anemia, iron deficiency anemia, and B12 deficiency anemia. The hereditary anemias like sickle cell and thalassemia, that's going to have to be its own separate podcast because otherwise this is just going to become way too long uh, to be listening for for a snippet. Other than that, that's the nitty gritty that I've got on anemias. Go forth and keep on learning.